Welcome to Sober Solutions. We are a weekly recovery podcast not affiliated with any particular 12-step or recovery program. However, you may hear us mention them. My name is Jason, and I'm an alcoholic and addict. My name is Chris, and I'm an alcoholic and addict. My name is Ben. I'm an alcoholic and addict. And welcome back to Sober Solutions Podcast. Tonight is episode 43. And our guest this evening is Hunter B. from Philadelphia. How you doing, Hunter? Pretty good. Awesome. It's good to see you. It's good to see you. Um, so I know that uh, tonight's topic is around being 21 and sober. So we're very excited to hear a little bit more about your story. So why don't you tell our viewers about you? So I'm a second oldest of 10. I graduated uh, 2019, a little bit later than the rest of my class. I uh, moved out at 17 and uh, worked healthcare for a few years. I picked up um, the first time around 14 years old. I was just uh, sexually assaulted and the reward was to smoke pot. Um, at, at first I told the guy like, hey, I don't want to uh, do any of that. And then after this happened, I immediately was like, I want to numb this feeling that I'm feeling. Uh, and it became pretty like gradual from there, slow. I had a couple of years where I didn't pick up anything. I ended up picking up ecstasy for the first time at 18 years old and moved into my own uh, little apartment and found myself getting consumed in debt. And I had some sugar daddies come in and kind of save me from that situation at the time. And they were like, here, why don't you try this? And kind of talked me down from a lot of different anxiety that I had about taking drugs because before that all I had ever done was weed. Somewhere along the line meth was introduced. Uh, both my parents were meth users when I was really young so I didn't really um, have an experience of what it was like firsthand and for whatever reason I, I wanted that. Uh, first time I did it I didn't pick it up again for like another year, year and a half and after that, it was pretty much just all I did for nine months. Um, once I started using meth too, I started collecting like lots of charges. I started to go absolutely crazy. Uh, I lost everything. And it's like not surprising considering the drug that I chose. Um, but for me, it was just, I just couldn't figure out what I was doing wrong for the longest time. Uh, it seemed like no matter what I was doing, like I couldn't get a leg up. And I saw these like sugar daddies or whatever gave me this idea that you can be uh, financially stable and have a job, have all these different things good, going good for you and do drugs too. So uh, I didn't understand why it worked so well for them and didn't work out for me. I started to realize like on surface level, this people's life looked uh, appealing, uh, but the more I looked into it, the more it screamed of unsatisfied. They were constantly changing out like what drugs we were using. They constantly changed out the people that were over. Uh, just It just screamed like they're, they're filling a void. And living in their basement at the time, I it just became clear that there wasn't as much fun or happiness as it seemed to be at first. Uh, there was just money. Um, which for whatever reason, for the longest time, cause I came growing up without a whole lot of money that I started to think like money equals happiness. And I was brutally wrong. 
So what brought you into recovery? After I got done on my nine-month bender, there was a period of time there where I was homeless. Um, it wasn't very long, although the house that I was in prior to that was not paid for by me. So, I mean, if I, and I never really lived there. So if I really want to look at it, it's probably like six and a half months of homelessness. Um, I eventually was like tired of it and decided I was going to sell my car, take that money and end up uh, getting myself an apartment. But because I was sleeping on someone's couch and this person was supplying me with all these drugs as well, I figured I'd give them the money and then they'd help me like debby out what it is that I could have after I got the drugs and got to stay in this place for like a couple more weeks. Uh, however, when I gave this guy this money, he ended up uh, stiff arming me, basically being like, no, like you've just, all you've done since you got here is like had mental breakdowns all over the place. So uh, I don't want you staying here anymore. And you just kept the money, which at the time seemed like the worst possible thing that could possibly happen. But realizing now, like it stopped me from buying $5,000 worth of meth, really. Um, and I couldn't be more grateful for that in this and right now. Uh, if it hadn't been for that, I probably would have just continued going on and on and on. Um, I'd also realized for a period of time, I couldn't remember the last time that I had hugged someone or had an honest conversation. Um, I, I don't really lie that often. And I found myself lying a ton, which just goes against like my moral values and belief system. And it just kind of I, I just kept asking myself, when will this end? I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to find the nearest rehab that I can get to. And ended up uh, checking into the hospital instead. And they sent me to a detox center because I couldn't figure out where rehab was. And uh, spent four days in that detox center. Uh, it was a brutally awful place. Um, I got to a treatment center after that in Utah for a couple of weeks. It was a state-run facility, so it was a little off, but not horrible uh, compared to the detox. Um, and in that rehab center, I went camping for like a week. And when I got out, I just didn't see a purpose of being there because it seemed like, well, it put us in different houses based off of how likely we were to commit crime. And I wasn't the least likely, but it was just a little upsetting to be like, I don't know, profiled in such a way, I guess. Uh, but again, it was state ran. So I left that place for a day, ended up going back to the dealer's house and didn't get high though. Um, I wanted to, but I ended up falling asleep instead. And the next day I got on the phone with some treatment centers and the treatment center in Jersey Hill or Cherry Hill in New Jersey sent me over here. And uh, yeah, so I completed that program January 7th. I got there September 7th and just got into sober living in Philadelphia. Awesome. Awesome. So, um, you know, I know you're, you're 21, um, and it must be an interesting experience being so young and getting sober. So do you see that being a challenge? Do you see that being, um, an advantage to your recovery program? Um, so both of my parents, uh, my mom got clean whenever she was about my age. Um, but my dad, uh, he's what they call like a first time winner in the program. Uh, he got clean at 30 though. Uh, and so I really have this model as to what to picture my life uh, with in recovery, which is really awesome. But for the most part, uh, 
The biggest struggle right now I have is that alcohol is everywhere. A lot of people my age are going out drinking. Um, and in my mind, since I didn't really get drunk a whole lot, like more than three times that I could probably handle it. And I have no idea. This is just my brain talking to me or whatever. Um, and so just seeing all my friends that are my age go out and drink and stuff does present its own set of challenges where I do feel like I'm missing out to some degree. However, I had a fake ID and would go out to bars um, and didn't drink a whole lot and just the entire time was annoyed. It's not like I don't know what I'm missing out on. And whenever it hyped it up in my head to be this a great experience, but then in real life, I, it's just not. But in a lot of ways too, uh, being this young and getting into the, the programs, it gives me an uh, upper hand to be a, like a lighthouse to those other people like me. It seems like you're talking a little bit about uh, FOMO, like the fear of missing out. And Jason and I are not first-time winners. Um, ben so far is. Uh, I think that was one thing I struggled with the first five years is, you know, what everyone else is doing, what I'm not doing, until I realized the opportunities I had and the amount of amazing uh, opportunities I could have uh, being sober. Uh, can you go into, I guess, any healthy and or positive things you are doing in the, I guess, positive uh, aspects of your life now that you are sober and how that's changing your life currently? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a few social media profiles that are basically focused in recovery and uh, just positive uh, messages in general, which I think... Uh, is completely opposite to my past profiles. So uh, before it was just kind of dark and a lot of the time there would be like references and jokes to drugs. And so it does feel like an act of service in a lot of ways to kind of reverse a lot of the damage that I had done in the past. Um, outside of that, I, uh, I really love photography and I'm trying to get back into that as well. Uh, I've been also, uh, I've got a class next year to go into become a, a drug and alcohol addiction counselor. So just as many things as I can think of to give back to the com community is what my main focus is right now. Hunter, congrats on, you know, coming on five, six months here. And, and it's, uh, it's inspirational to hear, you know, younger people in recovery um, but one of the things that I find interesting when I when I listen to anybody's story is really that that idea of did they actually hit bottom, you know, and you can you can tell that in in somebody's story and and listening to you talk about being dishonest, lying, manipulating, which goes against your core values and recognizing that is that something that you feel is, that's a bit of a loaded question, is do you feel like you've hit rock bottom? But I, I just find it so interesting to come across somebody who's 21 and to have had that experience where they realized they just didn't want to live that way anymore. So I actually am really appreciative. I feel like meth was just doing what meth does, be speeding everything up. Um, I was using ecstasy for quite a long time before that, where I constantly go through like electrolyte withdrawals and my body would shut down had to be resuscitated and none of that really scared me all that much. Um, but meth put me through like a mental loop that I just could not bear to stand anymore. Um, which honestly, had it not been for that quick drop to the knees, um, 
I would likely still be putting my body through the torture that I was going through with, with ecstasy. Uh, I think something about me is like, I, I, I think I escalated so quickly, mostly because I've got this like self-awareness that I have so much more potential than what death can offer me. And just having the self-awareness that I have, the ability to do more with my life completely destroys all of the high. So, Hunter, you were talking a little bit about um, putting your recovery out on social media and, and trying to recover your reputation. Um, you know, what kind of got you to that point? Is it uh, the idea of I'm going to make this public so it's an accountability thing or what really made you become so public with your recovery? Accountability is a huge piece of it, but another piece of it is I, I really, I hid my addiction in a way that I isolated myself from people. When it came down to it, if people talked to me, um, like I ended up getting, losing my massage therapy school. Um, they told me like, what's going on? And I just told them outright, like I've, I've been struggling with meth addiction. So as far as anyone asking me, I wouldn't lie to them. Um, I just told them outright. And my personality, my image, everything that I did became so drug oriented that now it it seems almost like I don't know if disrespectful is the right word uh but it just feels like I'm not doing as much as I could if I'm not doing everything I can to reverse that image uh just the some of the things that I said and did is is just kind of haunting to this day because I I didn't it, it was just my whole entire personality so Hunter you know I I asked our guests this question a lot. Um, and I think being 21, um, being so young, you may have a very unique perspective on this question, but um, you know, for the newcomer, for those in early recovery, what's one piece of advice that you would offer them? Uh, for the most part, I think that a lot of the time people chase after happiness, which in my personal experience, I found to be uh, tricky, uh, mostly because I think that the, uh, Happiness itself isn't the only emotion we should feel. Uh, it's more so a sense of fulfillment. I, I tried to run away from anything that didn't make me happy for so long. And anything like losing a friendship, it, there's just no real way to express that happily. It's just to allow it in and to feel it. Uh, I found that running away from pain just creates more. So if I were to give any advice to anyone, it's just to accept what is. I, I think that's a great piece of advice, especially around the feelings. You know, I've said many times, the worst part about getting sober is feeling feelings again, but the best part about getting sober is feeling feelings again and not fighting that and really going in and diving into those um, really helps you grow within your program. Awesome. Well, Hunter, thank you so much for your time tonight um, and your perspective. Um, congratulations on your five and a half months. I'm very proud of you and look forward to seeing you grow in the program. All right. Thank you. Absolutely. You have a great night. You too. I really liked what he said about the one piece of advice. He talked, you know, kind of about acceptance. Uh, you know, we could say the serenity prayer, but he focused around accepting kind of life on life's terms and to have that knowledge early on. I think he said he was five months sober, uh, which is amazing at his age. Um, speaking of his age, you know, something I'd like to discuss is getting sober that young. And 
I guess the challenges that you face, uh, you know, you're 21, everyone around you seems to be, and I, I actually say everyone around you seems to be because I'm sure there's a huge community that's not drinking, but you know, when you look at TV, when you're going out, it seems like everyone's drinking, especially at that age. And to actually get to, you know, I, I say get to, not have to, get to sit there and be sober and have that opportunity, um, you know, it presents some different challenges than we currently face, but also the same. Absolutely the same. I mean, just thinking about going out with friends, going to the bars, like everything seems to be focused in our society around some sort of substance, you know, clubs, bars, parties. And I know I, I was a little bit older than him when I first started this concept of getting sober. I think I was like 28 or 29. And it was even hard then. I mean, people were trying to you know, dissuade me. And I, I felt like an outcast. So, you know, to be 21 and getting sober, it has to take some level of fortitude. And listening to his story about how hard he went in such a short time, I could see how that rock bottom really got him to a place where he said to himself, I, I need to do this. The more that I think about it, I kind of push back on the idea that that because he's 21, like it's exceptionally harder for him. It's I'm 37 and it's exceptionally hard for me to not be able to go out to a bar to watch a game. Like, you know, I I think it's it's, you know, they the idea that we are that we're missing out. We're that we're missing out on something, you know, at any point in life, you're gonna be missing out on something that your contemporaries are doing. And he's, you know, he's experienced that at 21 and we're experiencing it at our, at our mid thirties, some of us close to 40, you know, and what you heard there was someone brand new in recovery, you know, and it was raw because that's how it is in early recovery. It is, it is raw. Every part of it's raw the good, the bad, you know, and when I commented to him that it sounded like he had hit his rock bottom, it's because it, that's what it sounded like. It, it resonated with me because that's what it felt like to, for me. It felt like I was done being dishonest with myself, with, with other people. I was done just living this life that I, I had just had enough. You know, I had just had enough. I, I put down a, a, a drink you know, July 28th at 11 o'clock because I had just had enough. And he just sounds like a, a kid that's had enough already. And the more that he is in the room, the more that he experiences, again, all of the parts of recovery, the good and the bad, he's going, he's, he's got a, he's got such a solid base. And I, and I, and I, and I really kind of envy um, that he has parents in recovery to provide an example that, you know, that there isn't this, this disconnect where he has to explain himself and, and, you know, no, I don't want my parents to be in recovery. Please, mom, don't, that's, that's not what we need. But, 
you know, it's it is just it's something that he's got such a and I was so glad to hear him say the potential that he has to so recognize one's potential and realize I could just be doing so much more if I just put this shit down and he's put it down and good for him. I think you make a great point in that it doesn't matter what age we try and get sober. You know, it doesn't matter how old we are. We're still infants when we come into the room our first day. And, you know, we've talked a lot on this podcast around how emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically stunted we are when we walk into the room for the first time. And it doesn't matter if you're 21 or if you're 81, you're still choosing to make a a huge choice for your life based on your experience. To be 21 and walk into a room and really have the energy for recovery, just thinking about what my life could be like right now, you know, where, where it could have gone if I had, you know, I have 18 months on Thursday. Like imagine if I had this time when I was now 22. I'm gonna steal one of your lines. It took every drink and every drug to get us here. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah, I really prescribe to what you guys are saying. I mean, uh, it's the same. It's different, but it's the same, you know. And to kind of take a step back and go from this 5,000-foot view, society really promotes drinking and drugs at every level, you know, 21, 30, 40, and so on. Like, whether it's – I was talking to my wife about this the other day, but, like, mommy juice. Like, how many times have you heard that where, you know – you get home and mommies need that glass of wine or you uh, or like you go for a 5K run and what do they reward you with at the end? It's a beer. You do this healthy thing and then they give you a beer or like you go to a sporting event. What's What do you have to get there? Drink. You go out with uh, clients. You're drinking. I agree with you, uh, you know, Ben and Jason on your point where it's really your current mental state on how hard it's going to be. You could be 21, 30, 50. It really doesn't matter. It's more about where you're at at that point. Yeah, Chris, to your point, I mean, it is impossible to watch a sporting event without seeing a beer commercial or a tequila commercial. And, you know, especially this time of year when, you know, there's – there's games all over the place and, and bars are full of people. It's, it's for me personally, it's impossible to not drive by and go, man, it would be great to sit, go and sit in the bar and watch this in this setting, but I can't. And it, that's fine. Like the games were just as exciting, you know, not drinking a single drop. And I remembered all of them and I don't, I didn't wake up the next morning wondering, what, did I say something stupid? Did I do something that I that I'm now going to regret or I have to apologize for? You know, and so it's those things that you learn early on that you feel like, oh my goodness, I couldn't do that. I couldn't, I couldn't get through this without without a substance. It's just not true. And the only way that I learned that was by, you know, working a program and s- staying true to what I believe in, and that's just stays over a day at a time. Something else he talked about that I can weigh both pros and cons of 
is putting his recovery out to the world on social media. And I'm specifically thinking about the time that I did that. I was full of life and full of recovery. I think I had much less time than him. I think I had like 60 or 70 days. Um, but I wanted to use that kind of like what he was talking about as a way to hold myself accountable. Now, at the same time, I didn't have a sponsor. I wasn't going to meetings and I wasn't working the steps. So I wasn't actually working a program of recovery. I just wasn't drinking and doing drugs, but I put it out there right on social media, right on Facebook, right on, gosh, I think that was it. Um, I don't think MySpace was still around then, but I put it out there and it was great to see so many people liking it. So many people giving me that encouragement, but then I relapsed and then it was out there. And like, I'm interested to hear like your guys' perspective on what it's like to, to do that, be so vocal about your recovery. You know, I think this is a, for me, a broader conversation about social media in, in general, in that social media, you know, what I used to post on, you know, Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff, it was to project this image so that you could, I could, I could give you a visual, a visual representation of how my life is going. And if people liked it, it validated me. And if things didn't get traction, then I said the wrong thing. So now I have to tweak my message. And the whole time I wasn't being true to myself. You know, that's why I really don't post on social media anymore because I don't really care if people like or don't like what I'm doing. You know? And so, yeah, I can see how social media is a good vehicle for accountability. Um, but ultimately, if if I was to be motivated by the likes that a post got or a picture got or something got that, that I was, you know, championing my sobriety, if to your point, Jason, if I didn't have a program behind it, then I'm just full of shit. And then I'm right back to my character default of not being honest with myself because here I am lying to everybody about where I'm at and how I'm doing. And 60 days, 70 days, 90 days sober. Like it, the, the, these, these anniversaries, it's not that it, they don't mean anything anymore. They, they just, they, they are a piece to the puzzle. It's a, it's a day and it's just, and here we go. We, we move, we move along. And, and so, yeah, I, I can see how social media can be a very powerful tool to help people um, stay sober, but just like anything else, social media only only tells a, a very small part of the story. You talk about validation. You know, early on, I had a very similar story to Jason, and I my intention wasn't pure. And I put it up, and it was like, hey, look at me. Give me a pat on the back. I'm sober. And guess what? A year later, I was back in – or a couple of years later, I was back in rehab. Um, I think that – you know, it does have pros and cons. Some of the cons, and I look a little differently at the cons. I think employers use social media a lot. I know our employer uses social media to get a lot of background information. And unfortunately, there is still a stigma behind addiction. You know, so 
whether you even though you could say, hey, but I've recovered now, I'm in recovery, I'm not using, it still has a negative connotation to some people. Um, on the flip side, you know, maybe you're at a point where you want to end that stigma. My, my um, sponsor back in the day said recovery is not a spectator sport. And he was really specifically talking about early on. And he, he was saying that, I guess his message to me early on was, listen, you really need to absorb, listen. And the same with when I went to meetings, he's like, he was really kind of old school and he wanted me to go there and he didn't want me not to talk, but he really wanted me to listen and over listen and really learn that first year. And you find sometimes early on in recovery that people talk a mile a minute, but they don't listen that well. So I, I, I think that, you know, it has pros, it has cons. It's great to get the message out. It's great to end the stigma, but on the other end, like just know your intention behind it. Are you seeking validation? Are you trying to get high fives for what you're doing? Or are you truly trying to help people? Are you trying to spread the message? Well, I think you bring up a good point of the old school of how to recover and the new school way to recover. And with the pandemic, we saw that. I mean, Ben, you're an online Zoom baby. You know, you grew up in the age of having a online recovery program. Have you ever been to a meeting, an actual meeting, physically? Yeah. Oh, you have. Okay. I've been to three. And how many meetings have you gone to? Oh, I mean, so every day, save for, you know, maybe a couple, you know, a a week or two total over the entire trip. So, yeah, out of a couple hundred, I've been to three online or three uh, offline, which it's, uh, you know, I, yeah, Jason, I appreciate you putting that out there, letting people know that I'm a Zoom baby because I'm not sure if I've ever mentioned it before on this podcast. Maybe once or twice. But no, in, in all seriousness, it, it goes back to something I said. I've said a couple of times. You know, once we're ready to get this, it wouldn't matter if it was delivered by smoke signal. We'd figure out a way to consume it because the message of recovery is just so much bigger and so much better than the life of active addiction for me. So, you know, it's, but I, I, I absolutely agree with what Chris is saying in that you really have to listen. Yeah, you can talk, you know, share how you're feeling. That's the only way you're gonna navigate the waters of the rooms and your feelings and everything that comes along with recovery. But there is so much in there that you never stop learning. You know, if you if you were ever a newcomer that came into the room and heard from an old timer and they gave you a pat on the back and said, you know, you you helped me today and that bumped your ego. That's great. But the lesson there is that they they never stop learning. So they could have 30, 35, 40 years and they're still learning. And so I never want to get to a place where I feel like I've completely got it or I've I've heard everything that I need to hear because I know that's not true. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, this, this idea that we live in a new age of recovery, 
where there are Facebook groups, there are online uh, is for us to meet. Using social media to spread the word of recovery may not be a bad thing and actually is probably being embraced by a generation under ours, you know, and, and really having that be the way that we may reach out to that millennial that is looking for the answer and the answer being being recovery. Well, boys, I think uh, that's a good point for us to stop. Um, thanks so much for your time. And um, it was great to hear Hunter and his story. Uh, we wish him the best as he continues his road to recovery. And as always, each and every one of our episodes is dedicated to the still sick and suffering alcoholic and addict, especially the individual who's going to pick up for the first time tonight. Have a great night, guys. Have a great night. Have a great night. We appreciate your liking and subscribing to our podcast. If you liked what you heard today and would like to support our podcast, feel free to Venmo a dollar to our virtual basket at Sober Solutions Podcast. We want to hear from you too. If you have a comment, question, topic, or would like to come on the show, find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at Sober Solutions Podcast. Or you can shoot us an email to SoberSolutionsPodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you like what you've heard, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show.